Not only do you need to hear the words, you need to put them into practice. And so with that, I want to invite up my friend Brandon Stansberry to, to bring the word. Yes, that, yes. Welcome, brother. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know about this microphone stuff. I'm pretty loud anyway. So, yeah. Can you put uh, Matthew 5 up on the screen? So a little background um, on myself. Um, I've, I've been part of the church since the beginning. Yeah. It is, it's been a huge blessing to my family. It's been a blessing to my life. Uh, Kelly is, and Rick are some of my closest friends in the entire world, and they've been a huge blessing to our family. I hate this thing. So, yeah. You know, salt and light, just to preface before we get into the scriptures, is something I think that we, we read the Beatitudes, and we kind of we read the next section, and it seems a little disjointed. Because you go from blessed, because of what, and then you go right into your salt and light. And so when I was, when I was reading and when I was studying this week, um, there's some things that are new to me as well. And so I wanted to share them because... I guess I didn't realize a few things about the Beatitudes, about the Sermon on the Mount, after getting into it, and that's, that's, uh, that was surprising because I realized I had been reading over it, yeah. and kind of just, kind of skipping over it, yeah, I'm salt, yeah, I'm light. Sure. So, a little, a little bit uh, more on myself here, just in, and it's going to be a second. So, um, been a Christian for about 27 years now. And early on in my, in my walk with Christ, um, I got invited into ministry. And so my wife and I uh, were both uh, pastors um, for about four years when we lived in Italy. And uh, we had primarily youth group responsibilities. And then our, our young, we called them our singles group. We called it Basics was the name of it, Brothers and Sisters in Christ Spirit. And those were just a bunch of young uh, 20-somethings. Most of them were single. There was a couple of married groups in there. We did that for about four years. Had about 350 people come through our ministry. And, um, and then since we've been back in the States, I was in the Air Force for 11 years. Since we've been back in the States, uh, we've just served our, our local church. It's where our heart is. Um, our community, where God places us, our sphere of influence, um, the people that we can meet in our immediate space that we can love on, that, that uh, we can build up, that we can go through battles in life with. Yeah. Um, the church is critical. The church is a, as a, as a huge body around the earth, the people that are called in Christ's spirit, but um, the people that are in our immediate area. And Amen. we're going to find out here a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, I'll read Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and we can pray. You are the salt of the earth. He's talking to his disciples. But if the salt loses its saltiness... How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in our house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. 
Father, we love you. Um, we just worship you. Thank you, for our, thank you for our church body here. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, many uh, whom we've laughed with, cried with, prayed with. Um, they're such a huge blessing to my life. And I ask, Father, that you would be a blessing to them today as we read your word. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, I got some notes. I'm not, I'm not like Kelly and Rick. Thank God, Kelly. You're going to be back soon. <laughs> I'm not like uh, Kelly and Rick. I can't commit this stuff to memory like, like they can. So, I made myself some notes. So, if I'm looking down at my paper, I'm not trying to ignore you out there. I just want to make sure that I capture my thoughts. I'm a rabbit holer. Anybody in here, like, start reading the Word and it takes you down all these different little rabbit holes? Yeah. That's what I did. So this week was extremely difficult for me because every time I get into it, I go off on a rabbit hole that has nothing to do with... Uh, that's, my, uh, that's my Christian ADD for you. <laughs> so what, what we need to understand about the Sermon on the Mount in general is that it was early on in Jesus' ministry. It's very early. Uh, in chapter 3 of Matthew, uh, Jesus was baptized by John. In chapter 4, he was tempted by Satan, taken out to, the, out to the wilderness. And later on in chapter 4, he uh, began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then in verse 18 of chapter 4, Jesus starts calling his disciples. He starts calling them, just regular Joe, you, um, me, people like us, fishermen. And he was taking them throughout all of Galilee. Galilee is, the, is the, the lake, and it's the lake region kind of around there. You, you hear it called a bunch of different things in the scriptures. Um, but essentially, Galilee uh, comprises just like the region that's around the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And he was preaching good news, and he was healing every, the scriptures say he was healing every disease, essentially, that he came across in sickness. He was casting out demons, healing uh, the paralyzed among all the people that he came across. And word about him was spreading really fast, really fast. I mean, um, you have to understand that time, the people were yearning for a Messiah. And the, the Messiah had all these different characteristics about himself. He was going to speak with authority. He was going to do these things and heal people. And he was going to cast out demons. He was going to have that type of authority. And so he was the interesting thing, one thing I hadn't caught, one of the many things in this scripture that I haven't caught before, is that when he was going all out throughout Galilee, Jer uh, Jerusalem, Judea, across the Jordan, and Decapolis, uh, which was a mix of Samaritans and Gentiles, um, he, was, he was ministering to Jews and Samaritans, which is significant. The Samaritans were kind of like the, uh, they were reviled by the Jews. They didn't have any right to revile anybody, but they were. <clears throat> And he was, uh, the common folks, the people that were coming to him, they were thinking, this is different. Uh, this might be the Messiah. And that's why he was drawing the crowds. Yeah. And in chapter 5, uh, it says that he saw the crowds, and he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. So there was a distinction there in the scriptures that I guess another thing I hadn't noticed before. It wasn't the whole crowd. It was his disciples. And uh, likely less than 200, we really don't know how many, but likely less than 200, not the thousands that were probably out there uh, following him around. Um, the last thing that I thought was interesting as a preface to getting into the, to the sermon here is, is that 
understand that Jesus was starting his ministry in a remote corner of the most despised region um, of the Roman Empire, talking to its most despised and reviled subjects. I think that that's critical to know is that these people weren't, uh, they weren't just some average Joes. These people were largely despised and reviled by the, the empire that was ruling them. That's who Jesus was talking to. And he was telling them that they were going to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And an interesting thing about that metaphor that Jesus uses, it's the only time that his disciples were referred to in a metaphor. And it's also the only time that the same metaphor that was used by Jesus to describe himself was given to us. The light of the world. It's the only time. And I think that's significant. And that was probably uh, head-popping for them when they heard that because they had just heard him say, I am the light of the world. But that's what Jesus was saying. We will. Lastly, before we get into this, the Sermon on the Mount is all one continuous sermon. It's not, we're, we're, we're parsing it because it's a lot. And we, we have, you know, we have our 30 minutes to talk or whatever. And so we're splitting it up into a bunch of weeks. And, and honestly, it deserves all of it and then more. Uh, it's the most significant thing um, about Jesus' first sermon. Um, the Beatitudes, if you didn't know this, and I think I, I missed, I was at a Seahawks game, sorry, I missed last week. Um, but... Uh, <clears throat> interesting thing about the Beatitudes that I also learned is that all of those Beatitudes were familiar to the, it wasn't something that Jesus made up. Those were actually pulled from Isaiah 64 and Psalm 52 and a bunch of other places in the Old Testament. Um, that's really cool if you think about it because Jesus was the one that inspired the prophets and the people to write that stuff down in the Old Testament. So he has, because he's God, he has the unlimited ability to pull and draw from the things that are most important as he spends his time with his disciples. It's actually really neat if you think about it. Like all the things that Jesus said, all, nearly all of them were just pulled uh, from the Old Testament and or um, elaborated on because they had misinterpreted what the Old Testament said. For instance, about murder. You know, yeah. Jesus says, you know, it says thou shalt not murder, but I'm saying that if you character assassinate your brother, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Or lust. You know, yeah. you know, lusting is, is adultery. So, anyway, Jesus says that we should be glad and rejoice um, when people persecute us. Right at the end of the Beatitudes, um, it's kind of weird. It's blessed, blessed, blessed. Um, and then it says, and then it says, uh, they will falsely say all kinds of evil about you and revile you because of me. And that we should be glad and rejoice. So if you think about it like this, the Beatitudes were the characteristics of Jesus' true disciples. And, and, then, and then at the end of the Beatitudes, it says that you're going to get persecuted if you have these characteristics of the disciples. Um, and then, so what's our natural tendency when we get challenged, when we get um, attacked? Um, we, we hear it all the time. It's a, it's a common uh, term in our day. We, we say it's fight or flight, right? And so he's telling, his, he's telling his disciples that, look, if you have these characteristics, then likely 
you're going to be persecuted. And what did Jesus say? I thought this was interesting too because Jesus kind of explains um, what um, Jesus kind of explains what what persecution means. It says people will persecute you. How are they persecute you? They'll falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So it's not persecution is not just uh, dying for your your faith. You know, it's actually people assassinating and attacking you. And so what I'd like to talk about a little bit is is about how we fight. Because the appropriate response is not flight. It, it's fight. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it says that we don't wage war as the world does, and nor are our weapons the same. It says the weapons that we fight with have divine power to demolish the strongholds of the enemy. And it define, further defines what those strongholds are as anything that sets itself self up against the knowledge of God. Yeah. Fighting is the appropriate action and, and being on the offensive, better yet, being offensive to our enemy. And so you can say, why are you talking about fight? We're talking about salt and light here. <laughs> well, um, fight or flight is the response when you're persecuted. And we're going to talk about how Jesus' disciples are supposed to fight. Good works, loving one another, thinking of others more highly than ourselves, humility, meekness, servitude, prayer, worship, fellowship, yeah. honesty, and integrity. And the scripture says, it says, against such things there are no laws. Right? So let's talk a little bit about salt. It, it, uh, I know that there's been a ton of sermons about salt and light, and there's been a ton of things said about salt and light. In this context, they're, they're all fairly obvious. Um, some purposes for salt in the, in the ancient day. It was actually extremely valuable, and it was actually a, a currency for the Roman soldiers. They would prefer to be paid in salt. It's extremely valuable. One of the things. Uh, another thing is it's used as a preservative. It slows the decaying process. Yeah. And uh, it was used as a fertilizer. It was used as a flavor enhancer, although not as common as you might think because, because of its value, because of its great value. It was sure. rarely used as a flavor enhancer for the common people. And it was a disinfectant. I mean, look, I mean, the Dead Sea, if you guys know anything about the Dead Sea, it's like the lowest, I think it's one of the lowest elevations on the entire planet. Is that true? I think so. Um, should have probably read about that one. But the Dead Sea is just, it, uh, it, it collects stuff from all around it and the minerals and the salt from the land around it. Salt mines are pretty common over there in the Middle East. And, and so the salt content is so high, it has massive buoyancy. Um, but the, the thing about the salt and the water there is that nothing can live. They call it the Dead Sea because literally nothing can live in it. Uh, bacteria can't live in it. Nothing can live in it. It's dead because there's, there's so much salt, but it's really the impurities that cause the death, not necessarily just the salt. That's a little bit about salt. Mark 9.50 says, being salty means living in peace one with another. Luke 14, 34 and 35 says that when you lose your saltiness, um, you are no longer good for the soil or fertilizer. But the reason it, it says, it, it defines a little more clearly than Matthew, um, that it says you lose your saltiness because of impurities. So, interesting. Yeah. So, 
Let's talk a little bit about light, and then we're going to start bringing this all together so I don't sound like a rambling crazy man up here. <laughs> you sound great, bro. Yeah. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. I need that affirmation. Um, our purpose as salt, before I get into light, and I think this is what Jesus was getting at, was our pure lives in the gospel are designed in Christ to slow the decay of the world. Um, and that's pretty heavy and that's pretty powerful if you think about it. Yep. And I think the light metaphor will further uh, bring that home. What does light do? Just in general, we all know what light does. It illuminates the darkness. Darkness really isn't a thing. Darkness is really just anywhere that light isn't. Right. And when, when Jesus says, uh, right before he ascends back to heaven, when he says, I want you to go and make disciples in Judea, Samaria, pretty much to the ends of the earth, everywhere. What he's saying is, I want you to take your salt and your light, and I want you to take it everywhere you go. The other thing about light is that when two lights are put together, it amplifies. The light is amplified when there are more together. And Jesus said, um, he, used the, he used the city on a hill metaphor. Interesting thing, likely wherever they were at, on the hillside, on the Sea of Galilee, um, they would have been able to see the city of Sophit. And Sofed is the highest elevation city in Galilee, and I think possibly the highest elevation city in all of Israel. Um, it was literally right on top of the tallest hill in that region. And the lights, if you can imagine the way that they built cities back then, they were illuminated. Tons and tons of lamps around the city. It's a great metaphor. Jesus always did that. He brought it home. He brought it right to us where we were at. Yeah. And, and that's kind of a great metaphor for all of us. Everywhere that we go and that we collect, it's like, it's like a light that casts out the darkness in the area. Mm -hmm. It illuminates where we, we, we illuminate where we at. And I don't think that it's any coincidence that Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, yes. there I am in the midst of them. Where was the light supposed to be? It, we were, Jesus said, it's not designed to be put under a bowl. Right. It is designed to be put on a lampstand. And I think that it's really interesting that he says that it, you put it on the lampstand so it gives light to your whole house. Mm -hmm. And I think a part of the point that Jesus was driving home, and I might be reading into it a little bit, is that... Um, Bringing your salt and light into the world starts in the home. I think that when you live as Christ wants you to live, the most important place for you to do it is not out in public. It's to start it in the home. It's important for you to do it out in public. It's important for you to be churchy at church, I guess. I'm not a super churchy person. Amen. <laughs> I've had a lot of churchy opportunities, but I'm not a... Not the, I'm not the world's best churchy person, but uh, yeah, it's weird that I'm preaching, huh? No, it's not. <laughs> but, you know, starting in the home. I think that salt and light, it's very practical. We can say, I can, I can talk about a lot of uh, 
you know, a lot of the nuance in the scripture, but I think it's black and white on purpose. Um, we're supposed to be salt and light, uh, slowing the decay, preserving our societies, enhancing the flavor, if you will, sometimes. Um, and we're supposed to illuminate the darkness. When, when you go to your school, when you go to your office, when you go and interact with people, it's super important that we're illuminating where we go. There are some things that prevent us from being a light, and Jesus made the comment about putting your light under a bowl for a reason. He also talked about losing your saltiness, and that's a real thing. And we can do that. There's some things that cause us to put our light under a bowl. Shame. Guilt. You know, um, the impurities that we have in our life. You know, salt, the, really the only thing that makes salt no good anymore is impurities. I tried to read about that as much as I could, but really it just boiled down to very simple. The more impurities there are in salt, the less value it has. So when salt is in its purest form, you can consume it. You know? And um, when salt in, is in its, its least uh, pure form that still has a use, you know, you put it into fertilizer. Yeah. And the scriptures actually say you add, you add it to the Add it to the dung because yeah. <laughs> it slows down the decay process and it's more usable for the soil. Yeah. The point is, is that your light and your salt are not designed just for you. It's not just for you in a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Jesus wants us to uh, illuminate the good works because when we illuminate the good works, then it glorifies our Father in Heaven. How many times have, have we seen someone do something really awesome and it inspires us? It inspires us to change. It inspires us to do something good too. It really is contagious. <laughs> Living for Christ intentionally and enthusiastically is contagious. It's contagious to the church. It's contagious in your family. Yes. It's contagious to people at your work. It is, uh, it is absolutely, uh, it starts a wildfire. But Jesus does want us to start in the home, our spouses, our children, our friends, and then move outward from there. Once again, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world, the only time his disciples get the same metaphor that he gives himself. Why is that? I think, I think a big part of it is because he has deposited his Holy Spirit in his believers. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> he's our helper, our comforter. If you want to know why we need a helper and a comforter, read the Beatitudes. Right? It flows together. Jesus is saying, as I have shined, now you must also. Amen. Little thing uh, about that I also thought that was interesting is that, you know, they illuminated, they illuminated their houses um, with these little oil lamps. I think you guys know this. So... They, the, the lamps had to continually be filled with oil. And oil um, throughout the scriptures, a little bit in the New Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, is synonymous with the Holy Spirit or the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that's also a great metaphor that we should think about, is that we need the continual filling of God's Spirit in our life. Yep. Where does that come from? That comes from all the common things that we already know. We're here. We're doing it. It comes from, it comes from church. It comes from praying. It 
comes from fellowship, it comes from reading the word. Yes. You know, these are the things that drive out the impurities. Yeah. I think we're going to flip to Ephesians 5 now. See, when, when, you, when you don't have the flow like a normal pastor, you've got to kind of tell the projector. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Ephesians 4 and 5 is where Paul is telling the Ephesians like how to live as children of light. I mean, there's a whole two chapters on it yeah. where he's literally just ex expounding on the, this part of salt and light. And... Um, well, let's just read this part real quick. It says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. He puts it back to us. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Be the light. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. Amen. Um, that part where it says everything is illuminated, everything uh, exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful how, then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So that is specifically talking about opportunities with other people when you're illuminating their life. You know, I'll tell you, when I, when I became a Christian, I, I was uh, an unlikely candidate, you might say. <laughs> um, it was my boss. I was working in a body shop that fixed semis. And we were, uh, it was hardcore work. It was awful, honestly. And um, around all these chemicals and whatnot, I was a miserable person. And I used to say, I hate this, I hate that. And um, my boss was a Christian. He was only like uh, six years older than me, six, eight years older than me. His name was Neil. Phenomenal Neil, love you, Neil. <laughs> and he said, he said, Brandon, you sure have a lot of hate in your heart. You say, you say, I hate this. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you hate everything. And uh, I was like, oh man, that kind of, that hit hard. I don't feel like I hate everything, but I guess I do say it a lot. So the next day I come into work and I'm like, I'm going to have a good attitude. And he comes up to me and he says, he says, hey, you want to go to Promise Keepers? And uh, down in Eugene, Oregon at the stadium? I said, no, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, I think I probably just came off of a night of hard partying or something like that. I was in a bad mood again. I was, you know, I was supposed to try to be holy, holier. And uh, he said, okay, well, you owe me 75 bucks then. Because yeah. <laughs> I bought you tickets already. Oh. And I was like, I don't, I don't have 75 bucks. And he, he said, okay, well, you're going then. And so, <laughs> so I went. And uh, I didn't want to be there. I was the furthest away that you could possibly imagine. There's like a ring around the stadium and there's a rail and at that rail, like the stadium goes down. I was leaning up against the rail in the back of the stadium, literally as far as way you could get from the stage. And they gave an altar call and 
And I just said, I am so miserable. I said, God, if you, if, if you can fix me, I am, and change my heart from where it's at right now, I said, I'll serve you for my, the rest of my life. And I woke up the next morning and um, I literally felt like a million pounds of bricks was lifted off of me. Praise God. And I just knew I was changed. And I was sleeping on the floor. I, nobody told me it was an overnighter, by the way. <laughs> so I, I, was, I was sleeping on the floor of this Calvary Chapel there. Literally like a hard floor, like the hard floor. And everybody just threw their jackets on top of me. And that was my how I was sleeping. So I woke up and I was like, oh my God. I was like, I just felt it, and I, I whipped over. Neil was sleeping next to me in a sleeping bag with a pad and a pillow, and I pushed him, and I was like, Neil, I said, I said, I'm saved. I said, I said, how am I saved? And he said, Oh, that's good. And he rolled over. <laughs> that's how I came to the Lord, and it was really Neil. I saw him living his life in front of me. He wasn't doing the things that I was doing. He seemed just like me. Really, in a lot of ways, great personality. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but he really just lived in front of me. And he would give me these little shots uh, of comments that made me aware of who I was, who I actually was. And who I actually was wasn't real appealing. And it wasn't appealing to uh, probably anybody else either. So Jesus is saying, as I shined, now you must shine. Yeah. Amen. Ephesians 4 says that people in darkness live in ignorance due to the hardness of their hearts. So, I mean, that's where I was. I was living in ignorance because of the hardness of my heart. And they've given themselves over to sensuality and all other kinds of awful things. Indulging in impurities. With a continue, the scripture says in Ephesians 4, it says that not, not just that you were doing it, but that you had a continual lust for more. Mm -hmm. That's where I was. And we've all been there in one sense or another. Probably not many of you were as, like me, as bad as I was, but yeah. Amen. So, I guess the big idea is that. Jesus has called us to be true disciples, yeah. salt and light. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to slow down the decay, illuminate the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a complicated thing, but it can be complicated when our wills and our habits and our really just our own ugliness gets in the way. Yeah. We don't have to be like that. No. We're, we're called to something greater. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us. Yes. Amen. Um, it, illuminating the area is not just illuminating the darkness for the purposes of exposing evil. But in, in this scripture, in 5, 13 through 16, it really says to glorify and illuminate the good deeds to glorify your Father in heaven. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's both. Yeah. So in, in finishing here... Um, just want to talk about this is my all-time favorite scripture in the New Testament. It was such a powerful thing for me where I was. It, it's not a, you know, it's not profound or anything like that um, in terms of it being like deeply theological or anything. 
but it is, I think it's, the, it's critical in our life as Christians. We need each other. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I knew Chris before I knew Kelly. And uh, she was a blessing in my life. And I met Kelly um, and Rick in a golf shop. When I first started, the first time, first time I ever bought a set of clubs, Kelly was trying to help me through it. <laughs> try. And uh, try. <laughs> Big emphasis on try. Um, and I was up at the counter and, and uh, he said, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. Are you a Christian? He just said that to me. And I said, yeah, I am. He's like, good. You want to play golf? And then we played golf and it was like one of my first times playing. And uh, I hit every part of that golf course except for the green and the fairway. <laughs> And at the end of the round, I was just, I apologized to Kelly, and I said, I'm sorry. Kelly was like a really low handicapper at the time. I think he was like a four or something like that. Meaning that the whole course, that he might be four over par, which is really, that's a top one percenter type of golfer. Yeah. And uh, at the end, and he's like, you know, you know, I had fun. And I said, really? I said, I was, I, I caused us to play like twice as long as we were supposed to be out here. And he said, no, he's like, I've never seen anybody play that bad and not say cuss words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying them in my mind, I trust me. I was saying them. Uh, I just didn't want to do it in front of the holy man. So, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, he encouraged me and he built me up. Rick has been doing it for a lot of years. Um, you guys in our home group, our community group, I love you guys with all my heart. And I know I go off on these tangents when we're at our house and doing my little mini sermons. But uh, the kids, you guys, it just have really blessed my life. You've built me up. I am a different, better, more consistent Christian because of the people that are in this room. Amen. Amen. And that's what we are to each other. That's, that's being salt and light. You guys preserve my decay. You illuminate my darkness. You build me up. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right, let me read First John. 1, 1 through 7. Then we'll finish. That which was from the beginning, which is Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Can you imagine that? You get to touch Jesus, hold him. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared... And we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. We write this to make our joy complete. And this is the part that's my favorite. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. He was there, the Sermon on the Mount. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let's pray. Father, you're such a good father making up for all of our inadequacies, especially mine. 
I just ask that you would imprint on our hearts what we've read today about salt and light. We really want to be that to bring glory to you in heaven. We want to be that. Help filter out the impurities that prevent us from being salty. And Father, take us out from underneath the bowl. Put us on a lampstand in our houses. Let's illuminate our families through your power, Lord. And preserve and enhance the flavor of the world around us. We love you. Praise you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.